it is the idea of going back to the way our grandparents used to shop and people would go to their small grocery store, they would go to the butcher, they'd go to the baker. Not only does it foster a sense of community, but it really does encourage people to think about where their food is coming from. Yeah, we're just trying to close that whole loop and encourage people to use what they have and connect with people that are selling and growing their food and tying it all together in one whole just food system. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from SheEO Venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Sit back and prepare to be inspired. My name is Brianne Miller, and I am the founder and CEO of Nada, which is a package-free grocery store based in Vancouver, British Columbia. So did you always grow up thinking you wanted to do a package-free grocery store? (laughs) I can't say I ever thought I would open a grocery store. Yeah, it's definitely been quite the journey to get here. My background is actually in marine biology, so I spent about a decade studying everything from coral reefs and tropical fish to marine mammals. I spent some time overseas in the UK studying marine mammals for my master's degree, and then that ultimately led me to doing quite a few jobs in some really fantastic and remote places around the world. So it's kind of the nature of marine biology is that you do a lot of full-time contact jobs on different projects in different places. And so those jobs and those experiences brought me to um, these places that really became eye-opening for me in terms of the plastic pollution problem. So there were a lot of field sites and beaches and, you know, we'd just be out on the open water like five hours away from land and the amount of plastic that you could see was really eye-opening. And it just got to the point where it was really hard to turn a blind eye to it. And that was kind of the, I guess, the the first kind of inkling of trying to jump into something to, to tackle the problem. And I ultimately started to make the connection between the health of the food systems and our oceans. So I had a really amazing job in Northern Quebec working for Fisheries and Oceans Canada. And I essentially had a, a ton of time to myself sitting on this dock up north. And I started to realize that every single problem that I was seeing with all of these species that I was studying were somehow either directly or indirectly linked to food. Things like agricultural runoff, um, you know, comes from industrial agriculture. We get lots of pesticides and fertilizers that flow into the ocean that create these dead zones where plankton and fish and and animals can't live. Bycatch and overfishing was a big part of that. Um, Ocean noise is another one that we don't really think about too often. And then plastic pollution fit into that as well. So kind of making those linkages between the ocean and the food system uh, was the impetus for jumping into trying to solve these issues through food. Ocean noise. Ocean noise, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that was actually, um, I was doing a project on ocean noise. That was the job that brought me to the west coast of Vancouver, where I ended up getting this project off the ground. So I was looking at the impacts of ocean noise on the endangered southern resident killer whale population. As a society, we consume and we, you know, we buy things that are shipped from all over the world. And all of these goods, uh, the vast majority of the time, are shipped by boat. And so as our population increases and as consumption increases, the amount of ship traffic increases. The noise from ships actually impacts uh, everything from plankton to fish and marine mammals. And it's just something that we don't often think about. So it's very similar to being in a loud room in a party. It's a really loud environment. You have to talk a lot louder. You use a lot more energy. It might be harder to communicate. And in the case of, of animals that often work cooperatively to forage, feeding and eating and communicating actually becomes quite a bit harder. So that was a big project that I was looking at on the West Coast was actually mapping out what an increase in tanker traffic and shipping traffic would look like. 
at an individual level for those whales and then trying to map it out to a population level to see what those consequences would look like. Wow. I mean, it's just so incredible how the, the growth of the human population just messes up literally everything. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely definitely something that we need to think about. That's like a big part of what is tied into our business models, the education piece around consumption, really encouraging people to think about products that they're purchasing. And first off, is it a product that you actually need or is it just something you want? Like do you really need it? And if so, is there is there a better way that you can do it? You know, is there something that you uh, can borrow or can you buy it secondhand? Is there a way that you can trade for it? Because when you really start to look, a lot of the resources and and things and stuff that we actually need or want uh, already exist. And there's, you just have to get a little bit, you know, a little creative with where you get them from. Have you dramatically reduced your consumption? Yeah, absolutely. I've been, I guess, a little bit more aware of these issues. I'd say definitely once I moved to the West Coast, you've been to Vancouver yourself, you know, it's a really progressive city. People really enjoy spending time outside. And I think because we live in such a spectacular area where you have access to the ocean and the mountains, a lot of people here really do appreciate the natural environment and have a love for it. And when you love something, you want to protect it. So I think we're in a very special place with a lot of people that really care. So when I first moved here, I definitely started thinking about my consumption and my waste. And it's been a really, really gradual process. It's kind of a big misconception around the zero waste movement itself is that, you know, people try to jump in and they go, you know, all in or nothing. But I would say for the vast majority of people, it's a work in progress over many, many years. It's really hard to reduce, you know, all the waste that you're producing in one go. But if you try to tackle things one thing at a time, it becomes a little bit more manageable. And my just my entire frame of mind around consumption has really shifted. So it started really small. Toiletries were something that I wanted to tackle first. So just doing it one thing at a time. So as I ran out of shampoo, I was like, okay, I need shampoo. Uh, what is what is a better option for shampoo? You know, can I make my own? Can I use up stuff that's been sitting in my parents' house for many years, which I literally did. My you know my parents have so many like toiletries and stuff in the cabinets from when my sister and I were still living there. That's a big part of it is like actually using what we already have. So a lot of times you don't actually need something; you already have it. You're just choosing not to use it. Making my own was kind of a good step in that process. And then, yeah, just finding simple solutions. So a shampoo bar is a really easy one. So I now have one bar that I use for soap and shampoo, conditioner made by a really awesome local company. It's actually one of the products that we sell in the store and it even doubles for camping. I can chop off a piece and bring it out into the mountains. It's completely biodegradable. It's good for, you know, it's okay to go into the water. You can use it to wash your dishes. So thinking about how things can be simple and and multi-purpose has really played into decrease in the products that I'm actually buying. As you said, you did not always dream of opening a grocery store. No. <laughs> so let's just talk about like how you came to that mm-hmm. as a solution for moving into more awareness around consumption and also zero waste. Like just take us on a bit of journey for the thinking around that. When I was working in Northern Quebec and, and really started to make the link between um, the health of our oceans and the food system, that was kind of like the first, the first journey into thinking about doing something through food. That summer was really, really neat. Actually, I, um, I read Michael Pollan's book, Omnivore's Dilemma. 
uh, which I would definitely recommend anyone uh, pick up and read. It's got some really interesting thought processes on uh, local food systems, especially. A lot of his thinking has played into how we decide to source products and, you know, the types of farms and, and agriculture and things that we support. And so that summer where, where I was, it was a tiny, tiny little town about an hour and a half from uh, the Labrador border. So it was quite far up. I think it was about a 14 hour drive from Montreal. There's really nothing there. Like the closest proper grocery store was about a three hour drive away. And uh, that was the summer where I decided um, I was only going to try and eat meat uh, that I knew where it came from. And so it turned out uh, <laughs> that in that, that place that was moose and they hunted moose and every summer they had moose, moose hunts and we had moose burgers and that was essentially the only meat that I ate all summer because that was the only one that I, the only product that I could really figure out where it came from. And it was actually a lot easier than I thought. I definitely grew up in big meat eating family. My sister had been vegetarian before that for a while, but that was my first kind of foray into thinking about the impacts of my food and wanting to know where it came from. So that was the start of it. And then that summer, I definitely had the idea. Um, it didn't even really start with this zero waste or package free concept. It was more of a store that would support a just food system. So one that supported things like uh, urban farms or local farms, um, organic and regenerative growing practices. One that's like really had a transparent supply chain and just starting to think about that whole concept of connecting people to their food. That was about three years before I even started. So it was a long time ago, kind of mold on the idea for a while as I was doing some other marine biology work. And then over time, as I learned more about the waste issue and really continued to see it in the fields, I realized that they really went hand in hand and there wasn't a solution that existed where you could be purchasing food that supported a just food system while also trying to reduce your waste. And that's both packaging waste and food waste. And I can explain a little bit more about how, how we tackle both of those, but those concepts kind of work together over time. And then, yeah, ultimately I decided to make the jump from a full-time job about, it was about, I guess about nine months uh, after I really kind of started uh, to decide uh, that this was something I wanted to do. So I was working on the side, so working full-time uh, in biology and then, you know, spending 20 and then 30 and then 40 and then 50 hours a week uh, doing this stuff on the side. And it, it got a little bit, it got to be too much. And we kind of jumped into uh, the store side of things full-time and decided we really wanted to go for it. But we were doing a lot of pop-up shops on the side and came up with some ideas to really test the concept before completely diving into it. And we knew really early on that a store was what we wanted to do but it took some time to prove it out before really diving into it. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I think this concept of sort of bootstrapping your way through and testing stuff out early, testing your assumptions, testing things with customers and what's really going to work, what's not, as opposed to like the old way of doing things, which is I'm going to do this completely top down, raise $10 million and go launch a whole bunch of, you know, zero waste food stores. Is that a natural thing that came for you to just start testing it out? Yeah, we definitely had, um, we took a business accelerator program in Vancouver and have a really amazing advisor that we brought on who's still on our advisory board and learned a lot about testing ideas like that. So he was definitely the instigation to really kind of test before dumping money into it. And it was just the reality for us. Like a retail store does cost, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we definitely didn't want to invest time and money into it if we didn't think it was possible. So it did, it did kind of lend naturally to that as well. But 
in hindsight, the way that we did things was was such a blessing in disguise because the pop-up shops and the markets and stuff that we participated in beforehand actually allowed us to really build our community before we opened our doors. And that's a, a model that as, as we think to expand and open future stores, um, we're already starting to act on. So, you know, we're thinking ahead to store number two and that community and how do we start, you know, having a presence in that community like a year before we even open and you know, trying to get our name in front of people and you know, do a lot of the workshops and education pieces that we've done in the past. They definitely go really hand in hand. And from those really, really early days, like people are just so keen to work with, you know, startups that have an exciting idea that they're gravitating towards. We were really lucky to work with Patagonia right off the bat. So that was actually a cold call. It just so happened that the Patagonia store in Vancouver was about 10 blocks away from my house. And I just really admired what they did as a business. And they had a very values aligned target demographic to, to what we did. And I just called them up one day and I was like, hey, I have this like, you know, kind of crazy idea for a store. Can I do a pop-up shop in your store? And their manager at the time and their community person was like, yeah, I love that. I've been wanting to see something like that. Like it's been a really frustrating thing for me as well. Like, of course you can come pop up in our store. And the first day that we did that, we had a lot of media attention. We had CBC show up. We had more than a hundred shoppers and it was just myself and a couple of volunteers and, and 10 jars. I think it cost us, you know, maybe $75 worth of products to be there. <laughs> Uh, but it was such a good way to do it. Like it was definitely a big vote of confidence that people would actually show up and, you know, bring containers and, and try and make a difference in, in terms of how they shop. And it just turned into this really wonderful long-term relationship. We still work closely with them. We do a lot of joint events with their team and we continue to learn a lot from their business model and, you know, their culture and how they interact with employees and customers and things like that. So it's been really fun. And it's just like, it really is real marketing and understanding the business that came naturally to you, but that ability to like, where else are the kind of people who will like this idea already shopping and like that out there and how yeah. Their existing network that creates goodness both ways. Like that win win thinking is exactly what creates the sort of ripple that helps you grow. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe the amount of data and information that you can get from such a small and inexpensive thing. Um, like honestly, for these pop up shops, we were doing them with friends, like some of my good friends <laughs> and volunteers for a good, you know, six to nine months before we were able to even hire, hire an intern or a first staff. And the budget was a shoestring budget. We were just buying inventory and that was about it. And, you know, we were able to learn like what containers are people bringing? Where are they coming from? What sorts of products do they want to see? How price sensitive are they? We used all of that information to go directly into the design, for example. So, you know, were people coming to us by bike? Do you need bike racks? Are they bringing jars? Are they bringing containers? Do they need spaces to put things down? How much space do they need to move around? Like, do they need workstations to like put stuff down? There were just so many design pieces that came directly from our interactions with customers and seeing what they were bringing in and, and what that process looked like. That was super helpful. I couldn't have imagined just trying to do it blindly. Well, in that design thinking, clearly you did an unbelievable job at that because last time I was in your store, IDEO, which is like mm -hmm. design thinking gods of the planet, we're doing a walkthrough, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're an amazing case study of how to actually bootstrap your way through this in a design way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been really fun. And a big part of that has been surrounding ourselves that are with people that are a lot smarter than us. So really early on, we tapped into the really amazing network of social entrepreneurs in Vancouver and brought on advisors very early in the beginning and kind of 
inserted ourselves into that network of people and, and just got connected really early on to a lot of really smart brains that were able to, to help us out. And so grocery itself is such a complicated industry. Like I, I mean, I know why no one else has really done this in the past. It's, it's because it's so logistically complicated. It takes a lot of time and effort to really sort out all the kinks of what needs to be done when you're handling, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of products, especially when they're fresh. And just the supply chain conversations that go with that are often really complicated, especially when you're trying to do it package free. But we really tapped into an amazing network of mentors and advisors early on that were able to help us with some tried and tested grocery knowledge. So things like mapping out cash flows, helping us figure out things like seasonality and what we could expect in terms of sales and customer traffic and cart sizes and how to build our inventory based on uh, set margins that are kind of expected across the industry and things like that and had a lot of help with like the finer pieces of that. So it all came together quite nicely, I think, in the end. You literally are full of like all this grocery jargon. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even realize anymore yet. <laughs> you just dove right in. So let's go back. You said it a little bit earlier, this sort of breakdown between like packaging waste versus food waste, which are mm-hmm. all different things. And then this concept of like finding suppliers, because I know that I think last time we talked, you had 300 independent mm-hmm. suppliers or something and how you manage all of that in the, the local sort of craziness of all of that. So wherever you want to start first, but maybe is it, you know, finding suppliers, packaging waste, food waste? Yes. So maybe I'll start with the conversation around both packaging waste and food waste and how we accomplish that in our store. So the packaging side of of things is a little bit more obvious. So we're encouraging customers to bring in their own containers to refill with food. The way that we go about that is very accessible. We try to make our type of shopping accessible to most people. So the first step that we do in that process is really just to encourage people to use whatever they already have. So, you know, be that a Ziploc bag or Tupperware or something that might go in the recycling, like a yogurt container or a spaghetti sauce jar. Those all work really great. Um, Anything that can be reused again and again is a win in our mind. So we encourage people to bring in their own containers to refill with food. And we have a digital system that we've developed to make that process really easy. So people can tag their containers so that they're not paying for the weight of them. And so essentially every container or package or cloth bag that someone is bringing in and using to fill with food is one container or package or glass jar that is essentially being diverted from landfill. So on the customer side of things, that's a little more logical and really easy to keep track of. We're on track to divert more than 250,000 containers from our first year of operations, which is amazing. So a quarter million containers out of landfill from one relatively small 2,300 square foot space which is, is really impressive and really, yeah, I think that's the coolest thing for our team to see is just how large that impact can be when you have thousands of people doing that. And then the packaging waste on the supplier side of things is actually, I would say, a much bigger part of what we do. And it's a really tricky thing to measure. Um, so that's something that we're working on in the coming months in terms of tracking our diversion of waste on the consumer side, because that's actually the vast majority of the work that we do. So a lot of the packages or a lot of the products come to us without packaging. So products actually come to us in reusable containers. So we have a really large container swapping program. Working with the hundreds of local suppliers really facilitates that as well. Like having a shorter supply chain allows us to do these things that are really different compared to your average grocery store. So we're not only reducing waste on the customer side, but we're actually reducing a vast amount of waste, much more on the supplier side of things. So that's been really exciting. We're really looking forward to kind of flushing out what that looks like in terms of numbers and greenhouse gases and, you know, our total carbon footprint and and trying to compare that to the average grocery store. 
But then I think the biggest and most exciting piece for us, um, which we're also planning on working on in terms of like communicating the impact is food waste. Food waste essentially is one of the largest drivers of climate change. So when food itself ends up in the landfill, the way that it breaks down and decomposes in landfill in an anaerobic environment is that it generates methane gas, which is actually a very potent greenhouse gas. It's actually 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. If food waste itself were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases. So it's, this is a huge, huge, huge problem. Not a lot of people realize uh, what happens to their food if it does end up in the garbage. There are lots of ways that people can tackle this in their own households. And the first thing that they can do is to actually purchase only the amount that they need as opposed to a predetermined package size. So we see that a lot with fresh vegetables as well. So things like spinach and kale and herbs especially. I swear cilantro was one of the reasons we opened this store. <laughs> the amount of times that I was forced to buy a bunch of cilantro when I literally only needed a sprig or two drove me up the wall. Um, <laughs> Thank you, cilantro. <laughs> yeah. um, you wouldn't believe how happy customers are to buy just a few sprigs of cilantro and it costs them 20 cents instead of $5 and then they're not throwing 90% of it into the garbage. So being able to facilitate things like that is, is really important to us. And the average family in Canada ends up wasting about $1,500 of food every year. It's quite a lot. And so if we're able to encourage people to only buy what they need by bringing their own containers and filling only what they need instead of purchasing predetermined package sizes, especially when it comes to fresh food, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. And just to, yeah, we want to keep having these conversations around food waste and you know, educating people about the impacts of it and really empowering them to decrease their food waste by buying only what they need. Amazing. I mean, I could just imagine sourcing all of these products and people that aren't, don't have all this packaging. It must be some kind of like ongoing relationship building challenge. Yeah, it's, it's quite the feat. Um, I'm really lucky to have Allison as a co-founder. So we're definitely very complementary in skill sets. I'm the very rational, like math science brain, and she's very much the people relationship builder. So it's something that she gravitated towards naturally. She's always had a, a love for food and, and local food systems. The way that we grew up in terms of food and what we ate as a family was very different. She grew up in a little bit more of a, you know, a West Coast family that was like really into healthy eating and, you know, gardening and, and things like that. And so she's always really loved food and loved interacting with, you know, I think her first job when she was 14 was working on an organic farm and she's just always gravitated towards those types of people. And so she's our COO and a big part of her job, the, the vast majority of it is finding new suppliers, screening them for different qualities, and then uh, bringing new products into the store. <laughs> it's definitely a complicated process. Um, it's one that we're really working on trying to streamline as we grow, because as we open multiple stores, it's going to get a little bit more complicated. I wouldn't say it's the hardest thing. It's actually been really, really refreshing and eye-opening. We're really lucky in Vancouver that there are so many people that are plugged into this whole concept of a more sustainable, more just food system. So we have a ton of urban farms. We have a lot of really amazing local and organically grown farms that are just outside the city. A really great ecosystem for food startups as well. So we have lots of commercial kitchens, just lots of businesses that are really trying to do things differently. And so when we really started to look, there are hundreds of suppliers that are local to us. So location definitely plays into that. And we're really lucky to live in an ecosystem that supports that. But the way that we source has attracted people and other food companies that are really thinking about these things already. So we're all values aligned and on the same page. And so the concept of 
supplying products in reusable packaging is almost, it's not even a question. It's like, yeah, of course we're going to do that. Yeah, it's logistically complicated to manage, but in terms of like finding and, and figuring out how to do that, it's, it's not so bad. It becomes a little bit trickier with the larger brands that we work with. So as a company grows, they inherently have processes that they need to adhere to, especially for health and safety reasons. But you know, as they move from like small commercial kitchens or home kitchens to co-packing facilities and then larger product and assembly lines and things like that, it becomes harder to make exceptions and, and do things a little bit differently. So that's an ongoing process. We we actually have quite a few larger brands that are coming to us now and, and trying to get our advice and talking to us about how they can do these things. So that's really exciting. We, we do have a couple larger brands in the store already and a few more coming on later in the summer, which is really exciting. I think it's most exciting for us though to work with a lot of these smaller suppliers because we're one, we're often the first touch point in retail for them getting into retail as a small food brand is really, really hard. And so if we can expose them to a really values aligned demographic right off the bat, that's super valuable and something that we want to support. And then beyond that, we were also able to, to, you know, kind of have these conversations with them really early on when we're able to influence things like packaging decision and ingredient sourcing and things like that. So if we can start having these conversations really early on, these companies, we have seen it time and time again, where they start to bake these principles into their own supply chains and their own sourcing and things like that. So that's where we're having a really, really large impact. There's some really great examples. Um, We have a really amazing plant-based ice cream company based in Vancouver called Nora's. Um, They're good friends of ours and they've actually adapted their packaging to do returnable glass containers for us. So they're, you know, they're making waves on Whole Foods across the country now, but we're able to have these conversations really early on that's affecting how they're actually packaging things for other people. We have a a toothbrush company that's adapted their packaging for us to remove all of the plastic and only have a piece of compostable paper for the packaging. We're actually seeing some of our larger distributors as well, um, changing the way that they package and that trickling out to, to other clients. So that impact has been really Really, really cool to see. Again, really hard to quantify. And we're, yeah, we're getting some help to figure out what is the best way to, to track that impact. But I would say there's, there's a huge amount of waste being diverted that we can't even keep track of right now. I was thinking about the quote unquote nada effect, right? Which is quite <laughs> powerful, where even just bringing up the conversation and saying, here's, here's what you need to do to get into our store must really start to impact conversations that they're having. This presumably is the future. There's no other way. It will be the future, I think, of necessity, right? right? Yeah. Ironically, this was the past. Yeah. (laughs) We're literally going back full circle, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Environment where it is the circular economy and waste is designed out of our design. We find a way to, to do that. You said actually finding brands for your story is not the hardest part. What is the hardest part of what you're doing? It's just fitting all the pieces together. So there's a lot of moving parts. There were a lot of challenges that we thought we would have right off the bat. Dealing with health and safety regulations was a big one because obviously the the safety of our customers and our, our team is, is our highest priority. And so we did a lot of groundwork in the beginning um, in terms of liaising with Vancouver Coastal Health, which is our managing health authority to develop policies and protocols that were in line uh, with what they were working on, but also also pushing, pushing those agendas and policies to be favorable to companies that are trying to reduce their waste. So that's a big component of what we do. 
But yeah, there's just just a lot of moving parts in terms of team and operations and, and logistics and kind of fitting it all together has been tricky and we're figuring it out over time. Like we're coming into an industry that neither of us really knew much about and it's a really, it's a low profit margin industry. You have to be really careful with how you're managing things like supplier payments and product purchases and payroll and, and things like that. But it's been really great because it forces us to be really meticulous with things like that. So as we grow, I think those are skills that are really important, but it's definitely the time that goes into that to, to figure it out has been uh, the hardest part. It's been a lot of, a lot of time and energy, but we're getting better now that the store is open. We're getting a lot of balance back and that's been really nice because it's something that we're really trying to, to foster in our team is, is balance between life and work and all of those things. Oftentimes people think you have to deeply understand an industry to upend it and tweak mm-hmm. it. You sort of came into this from a different perspective without deeply understanding the grocery mm-hmm. industry. And you've learned what you need to know about it over time. But having that fresh, fresh eyes helps you to do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely don't think we would be doing all the little things that we are if we had come at it from this background. So mm-hmm. fresh set of eyes is pretty key. For those who have never been to a zero waste grocery store, paint a picture for us of like you're walking into your store and what is different? How can everything have no packaging or is there some packaging? Like how do, how do we think about that? You walk in the door and the first part that we wanted to do was really create like a, a nice and inviting space. So there are a lot of aspects that went into the design to create an inviting space. We really wanted for this to work, we essentially need it to be a space that people want to come and spend time in and they enjoy it. A lot of people don't necessarily love grocery shopping. So we tried to tweak things in our favor to make it a bright and inviting space. So our space itself is, you know, we're really lucky. We have lots of like big south facing windows. It's so nice and bright and light. And when you walk in and it's, it's a big open space, you can kind of, when you walk in the front door, you can see the entire space, which really helps to just for people to kind of plan out their shop and navigate like what parts of the store they want to go to. But when you walk in, we have a, our, check-in station or a tear station at the front. So we have a digital system that we've developed that allows people to tag and track the weight of their containers so that they're not paying for them. So we, our staff um, are getting really good at figuring out who's been into the store and who's not. We try to do a really good job of catching people that are coming in for the first time. And we, you know, give them a little bit of a tour and, and walk them through what it, what it looks like and how that system works. Once your containers are tagged, you essentially can meander through the store and fill up as you need. Right when you walk in, we have a, a produce section. It's on the smaller side, but it's quite fully stocked. I think we have we usually have about 80 or 85 different produce items. The vast majority of them are local when we can. Uh, we work with a lot of really amazing uh, local and urban farms. Um, so we're really looking forward. We're just coming into the summer. So we're getting a lot more fresh produce in, which everyone's really excited about. We have a bread wall that we're really proud of. It's kind of these wooden pegs with bread just mounted on them. So you can just kind of see everything and grab it as you need. Definitely a very traditional way of displaying bread. So it's just out on its own. We get it delivered in reusable containers to us every morning. Um, Those containers go back to the supplier and they're just swapped again and again. The vast majority of the store itself are dry goods. So things like your staples, like rice and beans and legumes and baking goods and dried fruit and some snacks and stuff like that that are in containers that you can just scoop as much as you need. We have a home care and toiletry section as well, which is another area that we're really excited to bring on more products for throughout the summer. So we have things like soap and shampoo and laundry detergent and conditioner um, that you can pump into your own containers. So we have shampoo bars, but you can also bring your own containers and and pump actual shampoo and conditioner um, into your own containers. That's always really fun. That's actually been 
Uh, in terms of challenges, that, that has surprisingly been one of the bigger ones. So every single product that we carry has a different viscosity. When you're designing the store, you're like, oh, I want all the same containers so that they look nice and they're visually appealing, but it does not work. Yeah, we're in a process of trying to revamp that because it's just really tricky to dispense those products. People, thankfully, are a little bit patient and we have the staff to, to help with things like that. Another really cool section are edible liquids. So we have things like olive oil, honey, molasses, vinegar, almond oil extract, vanilla, um, things like that that come in. We have them in stainless steel fusties that you can just turn a spigot on and fill your own containers. And then the most exciting piece for us is in October. So about six months after we opened, uh, we opened the city's only zero waste cafe within our store. And that was designed uh, into the space from the beginning. But just thinking about this conversation around food waste, a large proportion of food that's lost in the supply chain does happen at the retail level. And so that was something that we wanted to, to design into our business model. So essentially the cafe itself um, captures nearly all of the surplus food from the grocery side. So as things about are, are really ripe and about to go bad, or they you know, might've ended up with a bruise or something during transport, we kind of sift through them. And then the first point uh, that they go to is a perfectly imperfect produce section. So we uh, encourage our customers to, to grab those products at their ripest. And then if they make it to the end of the day, then they go to our, we have a really fantastic head chef and she is just an absolute whiz when it comes to whipping up the most delicious things out of a vast variety of products that she doesn't know she's getting every day. Yeah. And so she makes every day, we have a a daily harvest menu in addition to our regular menu. So the daily harvest every day is a different soup, smoothie and salad that is based on the products that she's getting every morning. And they're the freshest ones. They're the ripest ones. They usually taste the best and they're really, really good. And it's really great for us as well. There's a rotating menu, different food every day, which is always really nice. But we, through that process of designing the zero waste cafe into the grocery store, we've actually been able to reduce the waste on the grocery side from fresh produce to essentially next to nothing. Like our compost that is leaving the store every day is essentially just pits and peels and and things like that. She really is able to recover almost everything. Like she's grading every orange and grapefruit that's, you know, about to go. Every every single thing is is captured and and frozen and used. So it's really smart from a business perspective as well. It saves us a ton of money because not only are we paying for the actual product itself that you're losing the loss of the value of that, but in commercial retail, you're having to pay for your garbage and compost as well. So we're saving on those fees. And then on top of it, you're actually able to turn a lower margin produce item into a higher margin food item. So it's really, really smart. And yeah, we're really excited to see how how much waste we've decreased on that side of That's, things. It's just incredible. Like the, just the life cycle. What is the waste percentage across regular grocery? Is that studied? Yeah. So the in terms of like produce itself, the average grocery store has between eight to ten percent waste. When we first opened our doors, it was at, at about three to four percent, and now it's less than one. So it's pretty pretty minuscule. That's quite the metric to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. it's been great. That's really amazing. And so what's what's next for you? You uh, launched just a year ago. Yeah, we're just coming up on our, our one year anniversary, which is really exciting. Yeah, our team is is really excited. It's yeah, it's been quite the whirlwind of a year and we're just so excited to see how fast things are growing. Just every weekend in the last few months has been our busiest weekend and then our busiest weekend and our busiest weekend. So we're really excited to see a lot of our, our customers. It, it is that ripple effect of of talking about package free shopping and it's just something that we see every day, which is really exciting. For us, we're, we're definitely looking at expanding um, in the lower mainland with retail stores to start with. So we're slowly starting to scope out our second location towards the end of this year and then starting to think beyond that 
where number three and four could be. Um, our business model definitely uh, relies on our local food system. So that's why we're trying to expand locally to start with before moving further afield. But yeah, future store is definitely on the horizon. Um, and then beyond that, we're actually a big part of what we do is working uh, with other grocery stores to help them get started and, and open. We've definitely learned a lot in the past few years. So we have a ton of people that are really interested in starting projects like this all around the world that come to us for advice. So we, we help when we can. And a big project that we're actually working on now is commercializing the technology piece so that we can help other stores have our system to track containers in their own stores. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there must be just so many people wondering, and it's that plus just the whole process. Or are you going into sidebar consulting around this or do you want uh, to be not, or? Yeah. Uh, not going so much into consulting right now. I wish we had the capacity to do that, but something that's on our radar for sure in the future. We do. It's not so much consulting as, as opposed to the odd phone call and, and tour of the store and kind of helping people where we can, but definitely in the future, that's something we'd really like to do. And I think it'd be really valuable because the more stores that we have like this, um, the better off we'll all be. And I think just the model of having, you know, it is the idea of going back to the way our grandparents used to shop and, you know, people would go to their small grocery store, they would go to the butcher, they'd go to the baker. Not only does it foster a sense of community, but it really does encourage people to think about where their food is coming from. And so we're just trying to, yeah, we're just trying to close that whole loop and encourage people to use what they have and connect with people that are selling and growing their food and tying it all together. And one whole just food system. That's amazing. And I think one of the things I was excited about when I came into the store the first time was you had other CEO products in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love working with other CEO companies. It's been really fun too. um, Like especially with working with Skipper Autos, it's really sparked some fun and interesting conversations. So for those who don't know, Skipper Autos is a community supported fishery. They have docks that are a couple kilometers from our store. And we've been selling their their seafood. Um, so we've been selling some of their fish. And then we're looking at getting some more mollusks and shrimp and stuff from them. But that's been really fun because how do you do fish package free? It's really complicated. Uh, right now, so we, we sell their whole fish. So they're actually, they, the first time we showed up, we just had a good laugh because they were way bigger than what we thought. They were actually fish that were about two feet long. So yeah, we, uh, people, we encourage them to like essentially bring anything that they have. Like coolers work really well. So if you have a big cooler, it can just like put a whole fish in it. That's kind of <laughs> the best solution we've come up with right now. These are the types of conversations that we have with our suppliers every day is like, you know, this is the thing that people don't do. Like, how do we do this? How do we make it fun and, and funny and exciting? And yeah, I don't know. It's those conversations that are a lot of fun. And we've been able to have a lot of those with our fellow CEO ventures. We're actually in talks with a few more of them right now because we have a lot more CEO companies in the network now. So starting to have those conversations with them and figuring out how we can get some, some of their products in the store because they're all really amazing female-led companies that we really love working with. And yeah, it's, it's really fun having those conversations and figuring out the quirks of a package free supply chain. Yeah. When I saw the whole fish, I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> that's, uh, this is delicious. Like rethinking how it is that we're consuming things. I mean, I, I thank you very much for the education piece of what you're doing too. I think it's almost everything we're doing is so wrong, right? We have to work, everything's broken. <laughs> yeah. We redesign things and there's just a really great opportunity to create more connections and to think more about this stuff. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just on the education side of things, that's something that not only Allison and I, but our whole team has really been immersed in is in terms of learning about the recycling industry, for example, and how it is broken. And that's why our whole model is is not based around recycling. It's actually based around reducing and, and reusing what we already have. Yeah, just a lot of issues with 
the the recycling supply chain that you know is not really mainstream and those are those conversations that we really liked to have and encourage people to think about because there are a lot of issues with it. Um, not as many products are getting recycled as we actually think and that it ultimately comes down to how recycling is treated as a commodity. It's just like you would trade any sort of mineral or gold or wheat or oil. If there's no market for that product and no one to buy it, it essentially sits and sits and sits. And then these warehouses of the recycling companies ultimately fill up. And so if there's no buyer for that end product, it ultimately goes to landfill. And that's that conversation changes every day and things like the price of oil, for example, drive how much plastic is actually being recycled. So if the price of oil is really low, it actually makes more sense for companies to to make or purchase virgin plastic as opposed to recycling it. So when there's no demand for recycled plastic, that's when it actually ends up going into landfill. And it's that side of the equation that's really hidden from us in developed countries. You know, we're really lucky to have the infrastructure to deal with our recycling and our garbage, but If you're anywhere else in the world, you actually see it because you don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. So we're really lucky in that one sense, but because it's hidden, it's it's not a conversation that we often have. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for all you're doing. I think we'll just end on this. Is there something that you need from the community? Is there an ask that you have or request of us? My ask would be to just think about the next product that you are going to purchase and definitely encourage you to think about how you might be able to go about that differently. You know, is it something that you can borrow or buy secondhand? Is it something you can borrow from a neighbor or you maybe you can purchase secondhand? Yeah, I encourage you to be a little bit creative with, the, with your next purchase and if there's a way that you can do that differently. All right, well, I'll be thinking about that. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about SheEO, please visit us at SheEO.world. That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.